Acts 25. Here we go. Page 544, if you got a white or a blue Bible that I gave to you, uh, we're going to get going here in just a second. As I was reading this passage, though, it reminded me of kind of a time uh, a few years back where I saved a girl's life, which sounds really prideful and like making myself the hero, but I'm kind of part of the reason that the girl's life was in danger in the first place. So it's not really that great of a, a thing, but we're in Belize on a missions trip. And uh, Belize City was a place that God had kind of developed relationships between the church we came from and another church down there. And we had gone once before. And the time before we had gone, uh, my wife is like incredible with children. And so that was kind of a natural outlet for us to serve them. We had done a vacation Bible school. And they had told us on that first trip, they said, hey, prepare for about 50 kids. And we were like, we're going to over-prepare. So we prepared for 80 kids. And the first day, we had 250. So all the things that we had planned, like with crafts and like being inside and all this stuff, just went out the window. Kids were like stealing our soccer balls and like it was madness. And so like we had to rearrange and do everything. And I had like taken just a youth group. So uh, like high school kids that were like not good with children were like trying to hold babies and stuff. And like it was it was a mess. So the next year we're like, we got to take people who know what's up with kids and we got to take a lot more people. So we ended up taking almost twice the amount of people, and they were all children's ministry workers so that they could deal with large numbers of children. And the first day, we had 350 kids at this VBS. It was like madness, just like kids everywhere, all over the place. And so uh, we had devised more games outside this year, like across the field from the church was a soccer field, or across the road from the church was a soccer field. So we went outside and did lots of stuff outside and did all these games. And there's like 300 kids in this field. We're all playing soccer and other games and stuff like that. And so I was walking from the church to the soccer field. And one of the littler kids, there was kids from like 18 months to like 15 at this VBS. It was crazy. So one of the little kids, uh, to get across the road, there's like this ditch, this nasty like third world ditch that I don't, if you've ever been in the third world, they just have ditches all over. So anyway, uh, there's this ditch to get across. You either had to jump it, but there was some like toxic slime in the bottom of the ditch. So like the little kids didn't like it. Anyway, this little kid was like, will you help me get across the ditch? And I was like, sure. So I picked him up, put him on my back, jumped across the ditch and I got across the ditch and all these other kids, not all of them, but a few of them were like, I want a piggyback ride. I want and I was like, okay. And they start like grabbing at my shirt. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, one at a time, one at a time. Right. And so I go to put down one kid and two kids think they're going to get on next, right? So I'm like, oh, I can't hold both of you. So I get one kid on my back. And then there's like the other kid, he like jumps on my side. And I was like, okay, funny. Like I can only do one at a time. Ha, ha, ha. And then some 13-year-old kid decides he's not going to wait in line. He just gets a running leap and like, like latches onto me. And I'm like, oh, whoa, now we got three kids on me. And I was like, this is a little heavier than I thought was going to be, uh, you know. And I was like, hey, we can't get off. And he's laughing, and they all think it's funny. And now all the kids get this idea, right? Oh, if he doesn't have to wait in line, none of us have to wait in line. And they start running. And I could see this coming. Like, they're going to run and jump on me. And there's like 20 of them. And I was like, this is not good. I'm not going to be able to hold all them. So I start chucking kids, like, 
I was like, get off me! I was like, I'm going Hulk on these dudes. Like, running, not running like playing, but running because I really feel like if all 20 of these kids jump on me, I'm going to get crushed. Like, just with three kids on me, I was like, uh-oh, the weight of this, I'm not able to hold it. Right? So, I'm like running, and I'm skinny, but I'm fast, so I'm outrunning 12-year-old kids, and so I'm making it across this field. I'm like, no, it's not funny. It's not funny, and they're laughing. They're like, oh, we're going to catch him. I was like, no, you're not going to catch me, and I look across the field, and because some of these kids couldn't catch me, they were like, oh, let's find another adult to go jump on, and there was one of our high school girls who had just picked up a kid and put him on her back, and the whole, not the whole group, but a few of the kids were like, Oh, we'll get that girl. And so they all started running over to her. I was like, no, Ella, don't pick up that kids. And she's like, doesn't understand, right? Because I'm just screaming and there's so many kids. And just as like one kid jumps on her and another kid jumps on her and another, and she goes down and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm like sprinting. I'm like screaming. I'm like other volunteers are like, and by the time we get over here, there's like 50 kids and they're all on top. And again, I'm going Hulk mode. I'm like chucking kids. I don't care if I break your arm, get off of her. She's at the bottom. She's like screaming. She's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the kids the whole time think it's a game. Ah, this is so funny. This is so funny. And she's at the bottom just in hysterics, tears running down her face, right? And then I turn around, and there's one of our girls who's, like, way smaller, like, with a kid on her back. And I was like, put that kid down right now. I was like, this is not funny anymore. Because think about it. Like, if each one of these kids weighs, like, 50 pounds, how many kids do you need to jump on you before you can't even hold it anymore? Five? Ten? I mean, there's 300 kids in the, in the field. And I got pictures of like this mass of people. And at the bottom of it is this poor girl who's being like crushed to death. And, and none of the kids have any idea. And what's interesting about this is her life was literally in danger. They had no idea. They thought it was a game. They thought this was so fun. But what they didn't realize is that they were playing a game that if everybody played it the way they were playing it, everybody would lose. Right? If everybody just jumps on this leader, then nobody gets to ride the leader because the leader is going to fall. And if everybody played the game the way those big kids were playing the game, then nobody wins. And there's so many games that we go into in life where literally nobody wins. Like we play these games in our lives where there are no winners. We think it's a game. We think it's all fun. We think if we do a little more, if we get a little farther, if we further our own self-interest, then we will somehow win. But we're actually playing a game where nobody wins. There's actually people who study these types of things. Like, like it's like an actual like field of scientific study. It's called game theory, where they talk about like strategies and how like mathematical equations based upon the rules of a game or just kind of the, the limitations of a circumstance, how they lean towards certain kind of uh, results that you could calculate, right? You could take the variables of a situation and you could kind of see, like, where is this game trending? They call it a game, but it's just a situation with variables. Like, what would the math tell you should happen in these scenarios? And there's actually, like, these types of people who study these things, they call this situation a bad game. Because the rules of the game always gravitate towards everybody losing. And, and the, the interesting thing about this is that there is situations in every sphere of life. 
whether it's relationships or economics or politics or family life or business that are bad games where the rules are set up in such a way that if you keep doing your strategy to get yourself ahead, the end result is everybody loses. And, and what we're going to find today is Paul finds himself in a bad game. He finds himself in a situation where he realizes, if I play this game, everybody's going to lose. There are no winners in this game. And Paul's like, uh, well, we're going to see. Paul's going to interestingly handle this situation. So here we go. Acts chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 27. I told you 25. So if you're really confused, just go up a little bit on your page to chapter 24, verse 27. So it's one verse, the last verse in Acts chapter 24. It says this, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. I know we got a lot of people having babies in this church, so Porcius Festus, you're welcome. Baby names. <laughs> two birds with one stone. Bible study, helping you out. So when two years had elapsed, so what had happened here, we've been following the story, Paul ends up being arrested for some, a crime he didn't actually commit. He didn't actually do anything against the Roman government. He didn't actually do anything against the Jewish ceremonial law. But they didn't like him because he was preaching Jesus and leading people towards Jesus instead of towards the religious institution of the Jews. So they started a riot. The Romans ended up arresting him. And when verse 27 comes around, he's been in custody now for two whole years. Two whole years. And what is happening here is the person the, of the... Uh, let's just start way back. Okay, the territory of Israel, so where the Jews live, their capital city was Jerusalem, obviously, uh, that has been occupied by the Roman Empire. So the Romans have a governor over that territory that lives in Caesarea, which is about 60 miles from Jerusalem, and his job is basically uh, to govern the whole territory. Now, the Jews had a reputation for being like the baby sister of the Roman Empire, right? They just scream and cry until they get their way. And so uh, the governor in charge of that area was just like, keep the Jews happy. Keep them quiet. Keep them from screaming and yelling and crying all the time until they get their way. That was kind of his mandate. Like, just do what you have to do so that Rome doesn't have to hear about the Jews being so upset and they're rioting. So Felix was this guy who was in charge for the, the governor for the entire two years of Paul's imprisonment. We actually read in the last chapter, if you remember, that Felix would call Paul in quite often and talk with him about Jesus, and Paul would explain to him what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant that Jesus died on the cross. They would have these great conversations. And we get to the end of two years, and I bet in Paul's mind, he was like, this is going to be great. Felix is going to leave office. He's going to let me go. There's no reason for him to leave me in prison. He doesn't care, right? It doesn't matter to him. Like, if he's not in charge anymore, if the Jews are mad at him, who cares? But not only does Felix not let him go, he intentionally leaves him in prison. Look at verse 27. It says, desiring to do the Jews a favor. How frustrating would that be? Two years, accused of a crime you didn't commit, 
Have a good relationship with the leader. You're probably thinking like, oh, he's probably going to let me go any day now. He hangs out with me all the time. We have good conversations. He listens to what I have to say. Building rapport with this guy. And then the two years ends, and Felix is gone. And now we're back to square one with this guy named Festus. New leader. Don't know this guy at all. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you put a lot of hard work and time and energy and effort and you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're like, oh yeah, it's going to work out for me. I can see how this is going to happen. Felix is going to let me go. And then not only does the light at the end of the tunnel never come, but now we're all the way back to square one. Anybody ever had that happen? No, yeah, just me. No, everybody has that happen, right? Where you think you're close and then the door shuts on the way you thought God was going to come through in your situation. And that's exactly what's happening with Paul, right? I, I want to encourage you this morning. God can work in those types of situations where you feel like you're back at square one, where you feel like you've come so far and it's all been for nothing, where you feel like you've struggled this whole time and now you're like, did we even accomplish one single thing in that whole time? That whole effort that I put in, was that for nothing, God, really? Now we're all the way back to the beginning, starting where we were all that time ago? Like, God is at work. The reason this story is in your Bible is because God is at work in this story. So what that tells me is if you're in that situation this morning, you're like, oh, man, we put in all this work. It doesn't feel like we got anywhere. God can be at work in that type of story as well, right? He's in the, at work in Paul's story in this situation. He can be wor at work in your story if your life feels like this in your situation. God has not only not forsaken Paul in this moment, he's not forgotten Paul in this moment, and he has not stopped working on Paul's behalf and for Paul's good in this moment. So, so these stories, the Bible tells us, are written down for our encouragement. So if you, if you walked in this morning and are feeling like this, or maybe you're going to two years from now, I hope you remember, right, this back to square one, like the incredible discouragement that comes along with that, that, oh, we were so close and now we're so far and it feels like such a setback. That doesn't mean God's absent. It doesn't mean God has forgotten you. It doesn't mean God has forsaken you. He is still at work and will still work for your good and his glory. Now, verse 1 of chapter 25. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he be summoned to them in Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. And Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said... Let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let him bring the charges against him. And after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. And Paul argued in his defense, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on charges before me? So Festus takes over. He starts in Jerusalem trying to make 
good relationship with the Jewish religious leaders, right? They bring up, hey, this Paul guy, he's still in custody in Caesarea. Why don't you send him down here? Because remember, they've been planning for the entire two years to kill him as soon as they get a chance. Uh, and they have a place to ambush him on the way from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Festus goes, actually, let's have a trial in Caesarea. Why don't you guys come with me? And if the trial goes well, yeah, maybe we'll bring him back to Jerusalem and try him here. So this is the scenario that's going on here. But there's kind of a game that's being played here that I want to point out. And the word is used three times in this passage, and I think it points us to what is actually taking place. We saw it in verse 27 of chapter 24. We see it again in verse 3, and then we see it again here in verse 9, and it's the word favor. Everybody's trying to do someone else a favor. I looked up the word favor in the dictionary because uh, I went to public school. And here's the definition for the way it's being used in this context. Favor is to offer friendly regard, approving consideration, or attention intended to afford an advantage. Let me say that again. Friendly regard, approving consideration, or attention intended to afford an advantage. In the being a politician sense, Felix and Festus are not just being nice to be nice. They're giving favors, they're being nice, they're giving attention because they feel in the end it will afford them some sort of an advantage in the game they are playing. They're not just kind people, they're not just generous, they're playing a game. They're exercising a strategy. They're seeking an advantage in the situation. Okay? Now, it's mentioned three times here. So this is not just like, oh, there's one corrupt guy. It's a whole system of corrupt guys here paying attention, giving special privileges, giving it like niceties in order to gain for themselves an advantage. And Paul realizes this. Paul recognizes as he's watching Festus conduct himself at this trial Paul sees Festus doesn't care about justice. Paul looks at this. Festus doesn't care about doing the right thing. Festus doesn't care about people. Festus is going to do whatever he thinks will give him an advantage, even if it in the end means, like the game I told you at the beginning, everybody loses. It's the inauthentic, power-hungry, people-pleasing version of a bad game. There are no winners, only losers in this type of game. Let me say it again so you understand. Nobody wins the game of constantly seeking advantages like Felix and Festus and the Jews are playing. Nobody wins that game. There's no winners at the end. And maybe it's hard for you to relate to, so maybe let's just broaden the scope here for a second. When you live your life as if the main objective is for you to gain an advantage, not only do you not win that game, nobody wins that game. Somebody say amen. amen. There are no winners in that game. Let me say it again another way. If you live your life as if the reason you were put on this earth is to secure for yourself an advantage over others, to put your comfort and your priorities and your desires above all else, I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. And if you play that game, you should not be surprised to find out in the end, there are no winners. 
the way we said it a few months back when we were studying through the book of Acts is you were not put on this earth to magnify yourself. There are no winners in the game of self-magnification. Nobody wins that game. So here's the question. What do you do when you find yourself in a game that nobody is winning? What do you do when confronted with a game where there are only losers? Look at what Paul does, starting in verse 10. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. There's a, uh, a special provision in the Roman law that if you are a Roman citizen, you have the right to a trial before Caesar if you feel like you're being unjustly tried. And so Paul exercises that right. He says, hey, this is a game that's not, like, I'm, I'm tired of playing this game of favors. And he looks at Festus, he's like, you're not even worried about the truth. You're worried about getting an advantage with the Jews. You're worried about greasing the skids, right? You're trying to get yourself above everybody else and put yourself in a good position. And you don't give two rips about doing the right thing. I don't want to play this game anymore. Here's what you do when you realize the game you're in has no winners. You stop playing that game. Stop playing that game. Paul recognizes this is a game where nobody's going to win, and he refuses to play it any longer, right? For two years, he could have done this if he wanted to. For two years, he could have been like, actually, I want to go to Caesar. But he was like, you know what? Felix is a nice guy. Maybe Felix will let me go. Maybe I'll get freedom. Maybe this is where God wants me, right? And finally, he realizes after Felix leaves, gives a favor to the Jews, leaves them in prison. Now Festus comes in. It's clear Festus doesn't want any part of justice, just wants to make magnify himself. Paul's like, I'm done playing this game. I'm not playing this political game of favors and advantages. I'm going to Caesar. And so Paul demands a trial before Caesar's. Now, I'm going to talk about how we need to stop playing games where nobody wins. But first, I want to point out do you know why there are only losers in this type of game? Because this type of game was not intended for human flourishing. Okay, so this type of game was not intended for humans to flourish. It's clear, by the way, Festus is handling himself. He thinks the goal of the game is to have power and influence, and Festus sees Paul as an opportunity not to do the right thing, but as a person to be exploited for his own power. So Festus looks at Paul and says, like, I can exploit this person for my own advantage. The rules of that game do not promote human flourishing. They promote human exploitation, right? That's why we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in games where nobody wins. They weren't designed for people to win them. There's lots of games like this where people, I bring it up because people play games like this all the time and you don't take two seconds to realize the game you're playing was not designed for humans to flourish. Like if you want to play the popularity game, like how popular you are in other people's eyes and caring really deeply about what other people think about you, newsflash, nobody wins that game. Who's been to high school? We've played the popularity game. Nobody wins high school, 
right? And if you were on the low end of the totem pole, you're like, no, 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 the pretty people went, won high school. No, the pretty people thought they didn't win high school either because it was a big popularity game. And nobody thinks back on it and is like, you know what? I just kind of found myself in high school. That was awesome. <laughs> nobody, right? There's other games, right? There's, most of us have this thing inside of us that we really want to be popular and liked but the popularity game was not designed for human flourishing. The materialism game, where you just collect stuff, right, where you achieve and build and increase, that game was not designed for human flourishing. Hey, Jesus actually told a story about it. He's like, there's this guy, and he collected all this stuff, wealth and wealth and wealth and wealth, and he's like, I'm going to build barns for my wealth. And Jesus says, you're an idiot because you're going to die tonight, and your barns are going to go to some loser who didn't even work for him. The materialism game where you're keeping up with the Joneses and you're trying to like just build your own little kingdom, not designed for human flourishing, should not surprise you that nobody wins that game. I actually was a ski instructor at the most expensive ski area in the entire United States for 10 years. And I got a little newsflash for you. Super wealthy people aren't any happier than really poor people. They're not. They're not. In fact, their kids, like, as I skied with their kids, some of their kids were the most disgruntled people I ever met on my entire life. The comparison game, like where you're on the internet all the time, like social media, comparing yourself to everybody else's life, and like, oh, like, we just got in a big fight, and like, we're screaming at each other, but I'm going to take a selfie and be like, no filter, right? And be like, home day, and it's like, you just screamed at each other for four hours. That false comparison game? Nobody wins that game. It wasn't designed for human flourishing. The comfort game where you're always trying to do the easy thing, make things easier on yourself every step of the way, nobody wins that game. Humans don't flourish in that game. So what do you do when you find yourself playing one of these bad games where humans don't flourish and there are no winners? You play a different game. You stop playing the bad game. Paul decides here after two years, he's had enough of this game and he decides he's going to stop playing this game. Now, some of you are thinking, great, Jared, good for Paul. Glad he had that option, but I don't have that option. There's no provision in the law for me in the game that I'm playing. I'm stuck. I can't appeal to Caesar where I'm at. What if I don't have some magic lever that I can pull to change my circumstances? What am I supposed to do if I'm stuck in a bad game? Have you ever been in a situation where two people are in the same exact circumstances, but they seem to be experiencing wildly different things? Right? Like, uh, I'll put it in the context of the word, the language we've been using so far in this message. Have you ever been in a situation where two people are going through the same thing, but they're playing different games? I'll give you an example. Uh, Christmas at the Lee house is crazy because we had, uh, last Christmas, we had a one-year-old, and then we had a three-year-old, and then we had a 12-year-old. Right? And so Christmas morning comes out, everybody comes out, and they're like, oh, presents, right? They're so excited. And then it's like, let's get an order going of who gets to open presents. And like, we, we have to start like the 12 year old. He's really anxious because he knows what Christmas is about. And he's like, opens his first present. He's like, oh, this is great. And then he like cleans up the paper and puts it in a like area of the living room, right? Because he knows he's going to have a stash at the end of the day. And he's like, going to collect stuff right? And my three-year-old, like, she gets a little more, so she opens the next present. She's like, oh, this is so cool, right? And then she's ready for the next present, too. My one-year-old had no idea, 
right? So she is playing with the paper from the 12-year-old and 3-year-old to start with. We have to be like, no, 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 you have presents. She has no idea what that means. Like, we're like, no, 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 come over here, Evie. You need to open your present. She's like, I want the paper, right? So we have to take the paper away from her. Now she's crying, right, because we're throwing away the paper. And then we're like, put this thing in front of her. She's like, where's the paper at? She's like, so upset. We get to rip off more paper. She's excited that there's more paper being ripped off, right? But that's what she wants to play with. She doesn't even realize that the box she's opening has something of value in it. Right? And so she's like playing with the paper. We're like, no, 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 open the box. We get the box open. There's a toy in it. She's like, oh, she realizes finally, we're 10 minutes in now. She finally realizes that there's a toy in there that's going to be fun for her. She starts to play with that toy. And what are we doing? We're like, next present, let's go. We're going to be here for six months at this pace. Right? So everybody else is playing a different game than she's playing. And guess what? She's having the most fun. Right? She's happy with the paper and the first present. And we're like, your grandma's out of control. There's 18 more presents under that tree for you. Like, we're going to be here till 7 p.m. if you don't hurry up, right? And my 12-year-old's about to lose it, right? Because he's opened one present so far, and it was socks. And he's like, oh, please, let me open something good, right? They're going through the same exact situation, and they're playing completely different games. One of them's playing a game that nobody wins, and the other, the, my one-year-old's having the time of her life. So if you don't have that lever to pull where you can just get out of your situation, I'm not talking about going into different circumstances. I'm talking about playing a different game in the circumstances you are currently walking through. That's what I'm telling you to do. I coach track. I'm a pole vault coach at the... Uh, public high school over here and I ask kids this all the time and it like blows their mind when I ask them this they're like go and they'll be like what did I do coach how could I do better and I go did you have fun and they're like it like short circuits their brain it's like oh yeah we play sports to have fun right because there's kids that are pole vaulting to have fun and they're winning Everybody wins when we play to have fun. But then there's other kids who got to get more and got to get more and got to get better and like they never have fun like every practice, they're like, I could have gone a little higher, coach. And I'm like, I don't do this like for you to be mad every practice. I do this for you to have fun, right? Two kids going through the same exact circumstances playing wildly different games. Jesus actually spends a lot of time trying to teach people how to play different games, even if their circumstances don't change. Jesus said things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said something like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said stuff like, love your neighbor as yourself. He said like, blessed are the humble. He said something, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Those are all games you can play regardless of the circumstance. And Jesus also warned against games people play that have no winners. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? There's no winners in that game. He said, be anxious for nothing. There's no winners in the anxiety game. He said, practice what you preach so you're not like a tomb that looks nice and white on the outside and is full of deadness and hypocrisy on the inside. There's no winners in that game. He actually told a story that we use as the model for our mission statement at the church. 
he said a sower went out to scatter seed. And he's scattering the seed, and some of it fell on different things. And I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to go through the whole story right now. But he tells later, when he's explaining the parable to his followers, he said the seed is the word of God. And the third place that the seed fell, the word of God fell on this soil that was actually good soil, and it started to grow up good crops, right? But the problem was, along next to the good crops were also thorns, thistles, and weeds that were allowed to grow. And it says, as those things all grow together, that the thorns, thistles, and weed choked out the good crops. And then Jesus, is in his interpretation of that, he said those three things were the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. We got a resident farmer here. How much is half good crop, half weeds worth? It's like mixed in together. Nothing! Nobody wins that game. If you're like a farmer and you're like, yeah, it's about half good stuff. The rest of it's thistle. Like, anybody signing up for those Cheerios? Right? Like, like this bread's kind of chunky. It's wheat and, yeah, we don't know what the other stuff is, but it's kind of like got some fiber to it. Right? No, it's not worth anything. It's not that, like, you kind of half win that game if you grow the word of God and other stuff. It's that nobody wins that game. When you try to grow the word of God in the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things and the cares of this world next to the word of God. Like, this is, like, over and over we see Jesus pointing out, like, hey, nobody wins that game. Just letting you guys know. Hey, the people-pleasing game, nobody wins that game. Hey, the hiding of sin game where we never confess our sin, nobody wins that game. Hey, the always trying to make yourself look good game, that, the, the, the hypocrisy, like, hey, you look like this where you pray with your hands up in front of everybody and then the people at home hate you, nobody wins that game either. Hey, this religious game where you pretend like you're doing stuff for God but you actually don't worship him and aren't with him, like nobody wins that game. Over and over, Jesus pointed out these games that were not designed for human flourishing, so we shouldn't be surprised when, we, if we play them, we do not flourish, and we only find losers in that game. As we close, I think there's probably some people listening this morning who need to recognize that the way you are living your life is playing a game in which there are no winners. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that some of you need to recognize, and I'm including myself in this, that we could be playing a game with our lives that was not designed for human flourishing. And after we recognize that about ourselves, we need to stop playing that game. We need to start playing a different game. For Paul, Acts chapter 25 is when he decided he wasn't going to play this political game of favors and advantages and people-pleasing anymore, and he decided he was going to quit. For Paul, that looked like appealing to Caesar. For you, it might look way different. I don't know what game you need to stop playing. I don't need to know what game you start playing. Maybe you need to end a relationship this morning. Maybe you need to confess some sin. Maybe you need to make a decision in your life to stop something you've been doing. Or maybe you need to make a decision to start something you haven't been doing. Maybe you need to take a stand where you've compromised. Maybe you need to say no to something you really don't want to say no to. Maybe you need to say yes to something you don't feel like saying yes to right now. 
I don't know what it is the Holy Spirit is calling you to do this morning, but I do know that very often people don't take the time to think about the fact that they are playing games where nobody wins. And then they wonder why they aren't flourishing and thriving in the end. I just want to point out this morning that God has so much more for your life than playing a game that everybody loses. If you're playing the unconfessed sin game or the victim where it's always somebody else's fault game or the resist the leading of the Holy Spirit game or the anxiety game or the hypocrisy game, nobody wins those games. Stop playing those games. It might take some surrender. It might take some confession. It might take some repentance. It might mean some hard decisions need to be made, but it leads to rest for your soul. Everybody wins the seek first the kingdom of God game. Do you realize that? Everybody wins the love your neighbor as yourself game. Do you realize that? Every single person wins when you take up your cross, deny yourself, and try to be like Jesus. Everybody wins that game. Everybody in contact with you, everybody who's influenced by you and you yourself, the Bible says, will find rest for your souls. Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, he's calling you to do it because he loves you and he wants the best for you. Amen? Let's pray.